0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Ian. I'm one of the leaders here. And as the other Ian, as opposed to the other Ian, uh, was saying a moment ago, we're just going to think today a little bit about peacemaking. Normally, here at Rotherham Evangelical Church, we will take, uh, on a Sunday, we will talk about a particular passage of the Bible and think what, a, what the particular main point is. Uh, This week we're doing something different, we're going to look at quite a few different parts of the Bible and see what it has to say about peacemaking. That's why you've got this sheet of paper, so you don't have to flick backwards and forwards through your Bible, all the passages with any look are on there that you need. There should be some more at the back if there aren't any, uh, if you don't have one. Um, And Eden was saying this is very much going to be uh, a practical message, I I hope for you, And, and as well, yeah, an advert pointing towards the... Um, the core seminar later in the term. Uh, A lot of the seminar and a lot of this talk is is coming from the way in which this gentleman, Ken Sandy, you can see his name on the back on the screen there, uh, has written about peacemaking. He's run an organisation called Peacemaking Ministries for over 30 years, Uh, so he really knows what he's talking about. So you can see there, big thank you to Ken and the peacemaker. And... We will have a copy of this for every one of the families uh, next week. It was supposed to be this week, but the delivery guy didn't get here. So make sure you pick up one of these next week. If you're here, I would recommend it to you. It is an outstanding book to work from. Um, So when we are talking about peacemaking uh, and conflict and that kind of thing, what are we talking about? Well, here's here's a definition of conflict. It's a difference of opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. That might be between neighbours, between friends, between family, co-workers, whoever. We're not talking about world peace here or anything like that, world peace. We're not talking about world peace, we're talking about between individuals, between people. Uh, At the last church I attended, it was quite a big church and it had a school attached to it. And I was serving at one time on the school board. And the school was in pretty bad financial shape, and so we decided to make three teachers redundant. And uh, that happened on a Friday, and so uh, I came on Friday night to help out with the youth group, as I did. And instead of leading those crazy, wacky games that the teenagers like to play, um, I was confronted by about six angry parents who literally pinned me into a corner and wanted to express their anger, putting it mildly, about the situation that had, that had happened. Uh, in the end, some of the elders turned up as reinforcements to rescue me, but uh, I learned that I didn't know anywhere near enough about peacemaking that night, and uh, that was something that pointed me into uh, this sort of area, and we did some seminars ourselves, which were, which were really fun and useful, so just get you warmed up, there's a diagram at the top of your piece of paper that's going to appear on the screen behind me. Uh, this they call the slippery slope of conflict. Uh, and it is a slippery slope because what we find, what we tend to find, is that people will naturally, when conflict arises, tend to slip off one side or the other of, the, of that slope. Uh, naturally. This is who we are very naturally. It's not that we, we mean to do that. Uh, on the left-hand side, on one, the one hand, people might slip towards escape responses, denying that conflict is taking place, fleeing, even, even in very extreme cases, perhaps committing suicide as a response to that conflict. On the other hand, on the right-hand side, people might slip off into sort of, as it says there, assault, physical assault, verbal assault, uh, litigation, taking people to court, Or even, again, in extreme cases, murder. And again, remember that Jesus, when he talks about murder, also thinks about how we are in our hearts and how we express ourselves. Uh, Instead of that, what what Jesus is talking about, what the Bible points us towards, is the middle part, the sort of the top part of the slope, where there are peacemaking responses to conflict. Uh, Reconciliation, you could read them there, reconciliation, mediation, arbitration etc uh, and we'll talk more about those in a lot more detail in the core seminar um, and so jesus is is saying is, is calling us to this in various ways the the, what, the way we've structured it today is how Ken sandy structures peacemaking i'm sure there are other ways of doing it he's just taken what jesus said what the bible says and arranged it in this way um, it's not a quick fix But it is a way that hopefully we can look at peacemaking uh, to get it into our hearts. So he's going to talk about four principles. Uh, They all begin with a G, the four G's. The first one is called glorify God. So we can ask ourselves the question, how can I please and honour God in this situation? Is that the first thing you think about when you get into a fight with someone, when you argue with someone? It isn't for me, usually, I've got to tell you. Um, and yet it's important because uh, conflict really allows us a great opportunity to glorify God, even to tell other people about God who maybe don't know him. So uh, one of you, the passages there, the, the first passage there is from First Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all, how much is included in the word all, all for the glory of God, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greek, or the Church of God, even even as I try to please everyone in every way for i 'm not seeking my own good but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So how might we glorify God? How are we going to go through this? Let me suggest to you a few ways in which you can do this. The first way is we can trust God. We can trust him uh, when facing conflict. We can trust him because he's provided guidance for us. He's provided the Holy Spirit for us. Uh, he allows us to, to express the peace and patience and kindness and gentleness that, that become ours through the Holy Spirit. We can trust him because of the example of his own son, who was a peacemaker himself. We can trust him because he loves us. By trusting him and not trusting our own wisdom, by trusting our own natural reactions, we can glorify God. We can also obey God. Uh, There are particular commands. Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commands. And Jesus commands us to, as we were hearing about there, to to forgive each other. Um, When we obey God, we show that we love him. We honour God in that way uh, we can also imitate god uh, you can see there at the end of uh, the 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 passage from corinthians follow my example as i follow the example of christ jesus himself is a peacemaker uh, we can be peacemakers because he has first made peace for us we can be peacemakers because he came into the world to die for our sins to reconcile to make peace between ourselves and god so we can imitate him we can follow him we don't have to die to do that but we can imitate his life Uh, jesus said love your enemies you can try to do the same Uh, another way in which we can glorify god is we can acknowledge him Uh, we can acknowledge god um, when someone says to us perhaps well you're not as angry as i expect you to be at this point you're not as upset at this point you say well yeah i feel that way but and then you get the opportunity to talk to them a little bit about the gospel about jesus uh, when the result, perhaps, hopefully, hopefully the, the conflict is resolved, and people say, oh, you know, thank you for, for the part you've played, thank you for whatever it is you, you've done. You can say, no, well, well, I can only do this through the strength of Christ. So we can acknowledge him, and that can be so powerful for someone who is not a Christian to, to hear that. Um, the world is not filled with peacemakers. And so by acknowledging the role that Christ has played, for us, in being peacemakers, can be a powerful uh, uh, opportunity to point people towards the gospel. Uh, but but uh, Paul also says, look okay, in, in verse 33, he says he's not seeking his own good, but the good of many. He is serving others, and so we can glorify God as we serve others. Uh, Jesus said he, that, that he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Um, so we may be aware of some conflict between our friends, between our co-workers. Our natural inclination is oh, 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 don't get involved. perhaps, not always, but perhaps we're being called to step into that conflict, to be a peacemaker. And a little bit as, as uh, Ian Mario was talking about there, is that we also have an opportunity to glorify God because we grow to be more like Jesus in conflict. Um, uh, Romans chapter 8, you can see the, the, the passage there on your piece of paper. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, For those God foreknew, he also predestined, what was he predestined? To be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And folks, God uses conflict not primarily to make us happy or to allow us to even be right or anything like that. But one of the things God uses conflict for is to make us more like his son Jesus. And so we can learn... In the middle of conflict and grow finally on this one um, we can also demonstrate god's love of justice when facing conflict Um, christians are told to turn the other cheek that is true and that is a good response in many conflict situations but not always that is not always the case where serious conflict has arisen perhaps something that dishonors god or, or something else, we have an opportunity to remind the world that God is also a God of justice, that he loves justice. Uh, and so, so the result then, we hope, is also something that glorifies God. Because it is the opposite of conflict. It is, the, it is peace. And Jesus was the prince of peace. Peace. That might be peace with between two individuals. It might be that we're bringing peace with God for somebody. There's another way in which we can bring peace and use these principles to bring peace. It may be that we're bringing someone peace within themselves. If someone doesn't have peace with God and peace with others, they may, they may well not have peace within themselves. So in all those ways, we, we hope and we trust that we can... Uh, Use conflict and we should think about how can we glorify God in this situation. The next G, the next big G is get the log out of your eye. Get the log out of your eye. How can I show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contribution to this conflict? Um, If a conflict is a difference of opinion or purpose, by definition, if we're on one side we have some kind of contribution into this conflict. And straight away, all of us go a bit, yeah, well, not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was basically good in this, you know. I, you know, it, wasn't, it was all them. It was all them. I mean, I was an innocent bystander. They just came in and they said that. And yeah, well, there, there's our natural reaction. We... we our hackles go up. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You can see that at the bottom of your page there. Now notice just on that, on that, that, that passage from Matthew 7, Jesus does not say we should never talk to someone about their sin and fault. He does not say that there are not negotiations to be had and other things to to uh, deal with that are peacemaking responses where we're not going to go and talk to the person about it. But we're not going to jump to that. First of all, we're going to think long and hard about our contribution to the conflict. If you turn over the page there, you can see uh, a passage from James. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures." James is saying here that conflict can often start when we desire something. We want something, but the desires that we have are good. Uh, I'm looking forward to my tea. That's good, that's nice. But if I start to then, you know, no, I, I, you know, I am looking for my tea. I am looking forward to my tea and it it'd be, better be ready on time because I'm really hungry. You yeah, know, I'm looking forward to my tea and, you know, it's got to, you know what I mean, you can start to, and be aware of this, folks, by the way, you know, Denise is on sound. Anything I say that, you know, she's upset about, I'm just cut off. So, you know, as long as the microphone's on, I'm doing okay. So, you know, yeah, I can say something about, you know, and that desire starts from going something very good, which is, I'm hungry, I'm looking for food, to something which is now becoming something where I'm dwelling on it. It's something that can lead to anger and bitterness, I'm getting into a, a, a bit of a loop in my head, and so I start to do what? I start to demand. I start to make demands. I feel that I deserve this. I'm entitled to it. Without this, I cannot be happy. If if, if, I, don't, if I don't get my tea, I'm not happy. I I have created an idol in my heart. I've created an idol in my heart. And what happens straight after that is I start judging people I start judging other people I start to take my expectations and the fact that they fail to meet my expectations I start to reflect that onto them and I nitpick and I criticise at that point I'm trying to be God I'm not talking about we all have to evaluate others we all have to evaluate each other's day to day but I am uh, critically judging them it's almost emotional blackmail. Why haven't you... If you loved me, you'd do this for me. You haven't done this to me. Why, you, you can't love me. What's going on? And then uh, what happens after that is I punish. For the people who haven't met my expectations or my desires, which are actually the expectations and desires of this idol that I've made, I will punish. Uh, we all have our favourites, don't we? I'm sure that we have them. Uh, uh, silence. Pounding. Pounding. Uh, deliberately hurtful words, perhaps the cold shoulder, acting glum, no, I'm okay. No, I'm okay. No, 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 I'm okay. Wallowing and miserably. Reckless words, grumbling, complaining, failing to respect authority, and particularly the people we know well. Boy, do we know how to hurt the people we know well. We've made something in our heart, and it is an idol. And we're worshipping it because we're Trying to give it all this stuff. So how can we get the log out of our own eye? We do it by repentance. We do it by trying to get rid of this idol that's in our heart. And so, first of all, we will check our heart. So have a look at this passage here. Uh, it's a bit of a long uh, Philippians chapter 4. I won't, I won't read it all to you. Uh, Paul is writing to a couple of people who seem to be in some kind of uh, some kind of conflict in the church and he is encouraging people to get round and help them and what advice does he give them to check their heart first of all he says rejoice rejoice in the lord i'll say it again rejoice he says let your gentleness be evident to them that's the opposite of rudeness and aggression and all that kind of stuff he's saying be gentle Demonstrate the love of God. He's saying, do not be anxious. Instead, pray. Anxiety will often feed conflict. Anxiety in our heart will will feed conflict. uh, And it can also project onto the other person. Replace that with prayer. And then try to see things as God sees it. You can see it there in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think on such things. Don't make a, you remember that advert, don't make a drama out of a crisis. Remember the insurance advert, don't make a drama out of a crisis. And then at the end there, verse 9, practice what you've, practice what you've learned whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice so that that's sort of our first step is to check our own heart examine ourselves honestly yeah okay did we gossip when we look at it did we gossip did we tell lies did we try and manipulate someone to do what we wanted what were our motivations were our motivations really really what they should have been see there the passage from james at the bottom of the page it goes over there um, talking about our tongue our tongue can be a deadly weapon did our tongue run away with us did what we was what we said a, a lie was it was it hurtful Third way, then, to put this idol to death, to get the log out of our eye, is to confess our sins. To confess our sin to God. Remember, our sins are primarily against God, but also to go and say sorry to someone if we need to go and say sorry. Um, and do it well. Okay? Try this one. Uh, I'm not sure if I've done something wrong, but if I have, I'm really sorry. No, that's not a great apology. Uh, I'm sorry if I hurt you, but I was really distracted. And and so the the reason why I hurt you, because I was having to do all that kind of stuff as well. Uh, No, that's not. Words if and but in apologies are not good ones to have. So we want to make a real honest, you know, I'm sorry because I did this. I know I hurt you. I'm really sorry. Did I say I'm sorry? Because I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, then fourthly, and the uh, part of putting this idol to death and as part of um, uh, getting the log out of our eye is change. Okay. We can change. Uh, Luke gave away an excellent book last week uh, to Ian Marriott so you can steal it off him. Oh, don't, don't do that. That's conflict. Um, uh, about how we can change. About how we can actually Um, We don't have to keep doing this. And whether this is a very specific idol we're having to address in our heart, uh, whatever it may be, the the Bible, the Holy Spirit, prayer, the community of the church around us can help us to do this. We do not have to do it on our own. Remember last week we talking about how Jesus gives us the strength to follow his commands okay Uh, third G third big G Dan you want to move on? thank you gently restore how can I lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their contribution to this conflict how can I lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their contribution to this conflict now remember this is happening after a lot of the second bit we haven't just leapt straight to this I always want to go and put someone right. No, we've got to do a lot of work before we get to this point. Uh, And you can uh, see there on the third page, a passage from Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted And this is one of the most challenging ways in which we can serve someone else: is restoring them gently, not confronting them, restoring them gently. And there's a progression here. The first step, and, and this you may have noticed this on the the so hard to say. you may have noticed this on the slippery slope. Too many S's, Is the first possible is to overlook an offence. We do not have to confront everything. Everybody does is wrong. Uh, Denise says, "Please, can you change that light bulb?" I feel grumpy, so I don't. Because Denise is a is a woman of great godly wisdom, because she has done the peacemaker seminar before, she can overlook it. Praise God. Praise God for a wife who overlooks so many of my faults. Thank you, honey. Um, but there are occasions when we should not overlook. There are occasions when that is not uh, the appropriate response. Perhaps this behaviour is dishonouring to God. Perhaps this behaviour is genuinely hurting someone. Perhaps it's damaging a relationship. Perhaps it's hurting the person who's doing it. So, so that's when we get into this, this process that we, we looked at, in, uh, that Ian read from Matthew 18, um, You can see part of the passage there that Ian read, Matthew chapter 18. Uh, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So go and meet with someone one-on-one. There are occasions where that might not be wise, but that's the exception. Usually you should be able to go and meet with someone one-on-one. And what we're trying to do is to speak the truth in love. That's over on your. You might want to flick backwards and forwards. That's on your back page. Um, so it's not just speaking the truth, it's speaking the truth in love. Uh, one guy gave an example of a lady who uh, came to him, a, pas- a lady who came to a pastor and said, uh, I need you to know that I've been given the spiritual gift of criticism. Uh, <laughs> to, and that, uh, I'm pretty sure, checking through the Bible, that isn't actually a spiritual gift. But anyway, he goes and says, I've got the spiritual gift of criticism, and the pastor very wisely said, well, I, I think you should do with that what one, of the, what one of the stewards did in the parable of the talents. He says, what do you mean? He says, I think you should go and bury it. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're supposed to restore them gently, okay, uh, and we're going to speak the truth in love. Um, how do you start? What, what do you get to say? The Apostle Paul would often start when, he's, when he, he was, you can read this in his letters, he would start by thanking God for them, by talking about the gospel with them. He doesn't jump straight into the issue. Uh, he was so quick to, um, to tell people why he appreciated them, why he loved them, why he thanked God for them. And when he'd done that for a while, then he started to talk about well, now you wrote to me about this, let's talk about whatever it was. Um, Another important thing to bear in mind is to be quick to listen. It shows that we are respecting the other person. It shows that we are trying to understand their position, their perspective. Uh, To be... We can also be effective in how we communicate. We want to speak in a clear, in a constructive way, in a persuasive way. We don't want to skip around the tulips too much. Um, We don't want to use our words recklessly. Remember what it said there from from, um, James? When we're talking with people, we want to show grace. We want to show the grace that we have received. We want to speak with love. And peace and patience and kindness and goodness, those are all things God has given us. The person is going to be a lot more inclined to listen to us if we behave in that way than if we come in organs blazing. This one made me squirm a lot when I read this one. Make charitable judgments. So here's a little, here's a little exercise for you. Okay, think... So you're going your, to lend your laptop to somebody, okay? So you're going to lend your laptop to your best friend, the person who you totally love and trust, the person who you adore, whoever that may be. It might be your partner, it might be a very good friend. Imagine you lend them your laptop and they drop it, okay? And you go, hopefully, you go something like, Oh well, it'll bounce, or uh, you know, just oh, don't worry, it's fine. I'm sure it's okay. I've backed it up. It's fine. Don't worry, it's all good. Now, consider that you've lent your laptop to the person who irritates you the most in the world, the person who you absolutely, you just carry out, you know, the person who. Hopefully that isn't your partner. And, and the person who just really just does your head in and, you, and they say, can I borrow your laptop? And, oh, okay, yeah, go on. you Can borrow my laptop? And they drop it. What do you say? Do you say, oh, don't worry, it'll bounce. It's, it's backed up. Do you? I don't know. The idea of charit- charitable, by the way, is just another word for loving. So It's another word we use for, for loving. Um, we're so quick to think the worst of people. What Ken Sande is saying is think the best of people until we have evidence to the contrary. Okay, think the best of someone until you've got good, sound reasons to think the opposite. This will help you when you go and you talk to someone about the sin in their lives, about the, the conflict that you have. But if the issue is not resolved, then as it says there in Matthew 18, then take one or two others with you. Go and perhaps you're going to rehash it again. You're going to go over what's been said and done. And that third person is probably someone who's a good mutual acquaintance or friend of you both, hopefully. Someone who you you can both trust, you can both relate to. And perhaps they're going to come along and be an impartial judge. Perhaps they come along and they're going to be an arbitrator at some time. They're going to help you with negotiation in some way. Bear in mind, if if you think you're taking them along, you, you are giving them the opportunity to say to you, no, actually, they're right and you're wrong. Now, at that point, you haven't taken the wrong person with you. Yeah, it's just appears to be more your fault than the other person's fault okay so don't don't get all hissy all of a sudden if they they think they're ganging up on you if the person you've taken suddenly says actually it's you Uh, that still may not resolve the issue and so Matthew gives us uh, another step to take and that is to take it to the church if the conflict is too serious to overlook if it has not been resolved then take it to the church Go and talk to uh, the leaders in the church who can get involved. Church leaders have a biblical mandate to tackle sin. Uh, as Christians, remember, we also have a biblical mandate to follow their decisions. So yes, we can go to them. Again, we can set things out and they, and our church leaders can be uh, negotiators and arbitrators for us. But we need to respect and submit to their decisions, whatever they are. Um, at the end of the passage in Matthew, it says that a Christian may end up where they have to be treated as a non-believer. What that means is they should be removed from the membership of the church. Is that punishment? No. This is about trying to restore the relationship. This is about trying to... Another word for repentance, if if, if you dig into it, is... People coming back to their uh, right way of thinking. We're trying to get people to come back to their right way of thinking, to come to their senses. And so hopefully if somebody is removed from membership, then we will continue to uh, work with that person and hopefully they will be restored and the conflict will be resolved. But if someone refuses to listen, if somebody insists on unrepentant sin, then yes, they should be removed at least for a time, from the membership of the church so that is really very quickly the gently restore stuff um, obviously uh, there is a lot more to be said about this stuff as, as we were reflecting with Ewan earlier in the week um, and uh, we're only going to uh, get into some of it now the rest of it is in the core seminar uh, but the fourth G the big four G is go out and be reconciled how can I demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encourage a reasonable solution to this conflict how can I demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encourage a reasonable solution to this conflict Matthew 5 says leave your gift there in front of the altar first go and be reconciled to them then come and offer your gift So I'm going to split this into two bits. First of all, it's about personal issues. This is about where we've had, where there's been emotion and sin and all kinds of stuff going on. And the first thing we're told to do, having done the other three G's, is to forgive. Easily said, it can be very, very hard to do. And to be clear, when we're talking about forgiveness, and this may clear up for some people why some of the problems they have with forgiveness. When we say forgive, we do not mean necessarily forgetting. Okay, to forget is not to forgive. Forgiveness is not necessarily having really positive feelings about someone. Oh, I've forgiven you. I think you're wonderful. It's not like that. And forgiveness is definitely not excusing sinful behaviour and bad behaviour. Forgiveness is when, is perhaps most powerful when we admit we cannot forgive someone in our own strength and then we turn to God and he enables us to forgive. Ian read it there from later on in Matthew, didn't he? The parable of the guy who had been forgiven an enormous debt and he couldn't forgive her a small debt. When we remember how much we've been forgiven by God, when we understand how staggeringly enormous our own sin is and the fact that Jesus has come and died and then rose from the dead to show that we have been forgiven for that and we can't forgive someone the fact that they didn't change the light bulb. We can't forgive someone for the fact that they said something nasty to us in a moment of anger. Jesus has harsh words for us at that point. Now there are far worse things, far more difficult things to forgive. I'm not saying everything's as easy as that, but through the Holy Spirit, through the strength of Jesus, we can forgive those things. Not forget, not necessarily feel warm and fuzzy about the person, not excuse their behaviour, but we can forgive them. So what is forgiveness if it isn't that? In, in that sense, and in the sense of the parable, it, it's paying the debt. When we forgive someone, we're paying the debt that they actually owe us. They're saying no. We're saying to them, no, it's okay. I'll pay the cost of that in the same way that Jesus paid the cost of my sin. And that could be a very big one-off payment we have to make. It could be a lot of small payments over time. But we're saying, no, I will make the payment for them. And so Ken Sande suggests that there are four promises that we can make when we forgive someone. That might be a bit small on your screen. Let uh, Let me just read them to you. The four promises are, I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring up this incident again and use it again, you I remember in 1974 when you didn't change that light bulb. Don't tell me that you did. I'm not going to bring it up ever again. I will not talk to others about this incident. You can't believe the fact that he has not changed the light bulb again. I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Okay, so four promises. I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring this incident. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Now, there are times when we should not make those promises. Okay? If someone is in unrepentant sin, if they haven't, if they don't care, then we shouldn't be making those promises at this point. If someone keeps doing whatever that is, and it's something serious, then we shouldn't make those promises. Uh, Ken Sande suggests at that point that forgiveness has two steps. The first step is we have an attitude of forgiveness. You know, we... we, uh, you know, I, I've read the Gospel, I understand how deeply I have been forgiven. I would like to forgive you, but this is a barrier between us, and so we just need to work on this before we can truly forgive you. But we have an attitude of forgiveness to get ready. Hopefully then we can move to the next place where, where they are repentant, where they stop doing it, and we can make these promises to them and stick with them. After forgiveness then, notice at the top there it says be reconciled. It doesn't say go and forgive, it says be reconciled. After forgiveness then comes reconciliation. We're giving someone the space there to earn our trust again. Giving someone the space to earn our trust. That might be over time, it might be quite short, it might be over a long period of time. It's giving them the chance to show their repentance It might be that we approach that with great caution that's fine but that is the goal we're aiming for and again even at that point means we have we haven't necessarily forgotten we haven't necessarily we don't necessarily feel all warm and fuzzy about them we haven't excused their behavior but we can now say yes i trust you we have that part of the relationship restored so that's the personal issues. Those are where we've sort of got sin and we, we've offended each other in that way. The other alternative, and this can come up a lot, is resources issues where perhaps there's money involved. Perhaps there's property involved. Perhaps there's time involved. Um, somebody's uh, parent dies and one of the kids is living in the house and they say, I want to keep the house. And one of the other kids says, no, I want to sell the house because uh, I want the money. Da, 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 da. There's resources involved. What should we do? Nice little word there. Pause. We should pause before we do anything. Very quickly, here's what uh, what he says in the pause. P is for prepare and pray. Get your facts right. Seek good counsel. Find out what's gone on. Pick a good place. The queue of the post office is not a place to have a good discussion about who should inherit what. Okay? A, affirm the relationship. Before you go anywhere else, say, man, you know, I really appreciate the fact that we are both Christians together, that we both love the Lord, that you have been there so often for me. Uh, I really appreciate the fact that you are my uh, brother. I appreciate the fact you're my co-worker. I love the way we work together. I love the way how we, we tag team together and do stuff. Um, affirm the love affirm the concern you know i'm really worried about this i don't want this to get get between us you is understand interests what is motivating the other person yeah that person who doesn't want to leave the house is perhaps very scared of leaving the house because this has been their family home for 40 years this, this is a, this, uh, the person who wants to sell the house might have a lot of family debts to pay off of. They want to put their kids through university. Or something. What is their motivations? Esther then is search for creative solutions. The creative, Too often, uh, with an idol in our heart, we get, sorry, it's got to be this way. It has to be this way. I must stay in this house. No, it has to be this way. We must sell the house. Is there a third way? We can do that to release the money and let the person live in the house. Lastly, we evaluate the, the options, the different options we come up with, which are the ones that are most likely to give us the benefit that we are looking for, for to meet the objectives that people have. Um, on the back page of your handout there, there's a passage from Daniel 1. I won't read it to you now, but a really interesting passage. I've never thought of this in this way before. The way in which Daniel resolves conflicts he comes up with a solution, and then he says to the uh, chief official, he says, okay, now, to check that this solution is going to work, let's try this for 10 days. And if this works out after 10 days, then we're good. Uh, if not, we can forget it. So, so, so Daniel is, is um, coming up with a, a way in which, objectively, they can decide whether this solution is good or whether the solution is bad, um, well, those are our four G's. You can see them on the screen again there. Glorify God. Get the log out of your eye. Gently restore. Go and be reconciled. You will have many questions, I suspect. You have many specific ample examples you want to talk about. We're going to talk about them in our life groups. We're going to talk about them in the course seminars when those happen. Uh, let me give you a warning at this point. Uh, often when we preach a practical message like this one and this is especially true for this one is that God may well give you homework in the next 48 hours okay so often uh, when this message, when this stuff is delivered even within, maybe even before you leave the building you find yourself in a position where you're being called on to apply these principles. Um, the last time we did this, we did this over three days, and the first evening after the seminar, uh, a guy left the seminar and, he had, and he, got, he had to go to hospital to visit a friend, and in the bed next to his friend was the person who uh, he'd rented a property out to previously, years ago, and who had defaulted on about six months of rent, and who had wrecked the joint before leaving. And he's sitting ill in the next bed. And he'd come straight from this seminar to that. So just be a warning, you may get homework. Hopefully you didn't nod off and you can remember these four principles. Um, Because the principles are from the Bible, because God is calling us to be peacemakers. This is not how the world deals with conflict. This is not how the world deals with peacemaking, or certainly very rarely. Jesus commanded us to love our enemies, to confess our wrongs, to gently correct one another, to forgive those who hurt us, to help others make peace. How can we follow his commands? Because God loved us. Because God sacrificed his only son for us. Because God acted as a peacemaker for us and still does. That's how we can do this. That's how we can do it. We do it in his strength. When we believe that our sins are forgiven. Jesus will will motivate us using that. He will strengthen us using that. He will teach us from his word. Jesus is called the prince of peace. He wants us, his followers, to be peacemakers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, we can only contemplate the concept of personal peace for ourselves. We can only contemplate helping others to make peace, to serve others because of you, because of your Son, Jesus we can only do this because he first died for us we can only do this because you first loved us you said that we were your enemies before you sent your son and and so we can contemplate that now Lord this is not easy but it is good we will learn from it it is hard. Lord, will you through your Holy Spirit strengthen us? Will you encourage us even tonight to reach out to people who we should have reached out to already? Will you encourage us to glorify you as we do this? Help us to be honest and take the log out of our own eye. Lord, help us to be gentle as we try to serve others and restore each other's. And Lord, will will you allow us to be reconciled to each other? Father, I pray all this in the glorious and precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.